Remember, history lives on through the stories we tell. I'm Peter, and this is Who Died Today, the podcast that explores the lives of famous individuals on the day they passed away. Today we're delving into the extraordinary life of W.E.B. Du Bois, a pioneering sociologist, historian, civil rights activist, and co-founder of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP whose work and writings paved the way for civil rights movements and offered a profound analysis of the complex black experience in America. Today marks the 60th anniversary of his death. So without any further ado, let's dive into the early life of W.E.B. Du Bois. Part 1. Early Life and Education, 1868-1895 William Edward Burghardt Du Bois entered the world during the aftermath of the American Civil War, a period of reconstruction and hope, but also lingering racial tensions. Born in Great Barrington, a predominantly white community in Massachusetts, his family roots trace back to a mix of French, Dutch, and African ancestry. This diverse lineage equipped Du Bois with a unique perspective on race, which would carry throughout his life. Growing up, his family status was modest. Du Bois was raised by his mother, Mary, and his father left early in his childhood. Mary worked tirelessly to provide for her son, and the community, recognizing the potential in young Du Bois, often supported them. Mary's unwavering commitment to her son's education and well-being instilled in him a strong work ethic and a sense of purpose. Despite the broad-minded nature of Great Barrington, Du Bois couldn't escape instances of racism. One particularly poignant episode occurred during his school years when, despite being voted class speaker, none of his classmates would accept his congratulatory cards due to his race. Such incidents, while hurtful, steeled his resolve and sharpened his awareness of the racial divide. In 1885, Du Bois took a significant step southward to Nashville, Tennessee, to attend Fisk University, a notable historically black university. It was here that he first truly encountered the harsh realities of Southern racism. He witnessed the debilitating effects of Jim Crow laws, which enforced racial segregation and the omnipresent threat of lynching. This experience was not just eye-opening, but also deeply personal. He felt the weight of oppression, not just as an observer, but as a target. Fisk was transformative for Du Bois in another aspect. It was where he first was exposed to the depth and richness of black culture and history. He engaged in debates, joined the Fisk Jubilee Singers, and was introduced to the realm of African American literature and activism. Upon completing his bachelor's degree at Fisk, Du Bois never won to rest on his laurels, sought higher education at Harvard University. Despite his Fisk accomplishments, Harvard required him to start as a junior undergraduate because they didn't recognize his Fisk coursework. Unfazed, Du Bois excelled, earning a second bachelor's degree in 1890, followed by a master's degree in 1891. Recognizing his profound intellectual capabilities, Harvard awarded Du Bois with the Slater Fund Fellowship. This allowed him to attend the University of Berlin for graduate coursework from 1892 to 1894. Here, Du Bois was exposed to European sociological perspectives, further expanding his worldview. Returning to the United States, Du Bois achieved a historic milestone in 1895. 
He became the first African American to earn a PhD from Harvard. His dissertation, The Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America, 1638 to 1870. This was a pioneering work and showcased his meticulous research skills. This dissertation, later becoming his first book, set the stage for the rest of Du Bois' prolific career as a scholar, activist, and advocate for black rights. Part 2. Scholarly Achievements and the Souls of Black Folk, 1895-1910 Following his momentous achievement at Harvard, W.E.B. Du Bois was placed to make an, a lasting mark on the academic landscape. In 1896, he accepted a position at the University of Pennsylvania to conduct a sociological study of the city's African-American community. This resulted in his publication, The Philadelphia Negro, in 1899. The first case study of its kind, it not only delved into the socioeconomic conditions faced by Philadelphia's black population, but also provided a deep empirical analysis, dispelling many prevalent racial myths of the time. Du Bois' rigorous methodology set new standards for sociological research. But it was in 1903, with the publication of The Souls of Black Folk, that Du Bois took center stage in the national discourse on race. This collection of essays was more than just an academic endeavor, it was a powerful poetic exploration of the African-American experience, encompassing history, sociology, and personal narrative. The book's profound opening line, The Problem of the 20th Century is the Problem of the Color Line, underscored the racial challenges America grappled with. One of the book's most significant essays of Mr. Booker T. Washington and others highlighted the growing ideological chasm between Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, the most influential black leader of the time. Washington, a former slave who rose to prominence through his work at the Tuskegee Institute, advocated a philosophy of accommodation. He believed that black Americans should focus on vocational training and economic self-upliftment, rather than directly challenging the oppressive Jim Crow laws and disenfranchisement. Du Bois, in his stark contrast, believed that civil rights couldn't be sidestepped. He asserted that black Americans should be provided the same opportunities as their white counterparts in every field, not just vocational traits. He coined the term the Talented Tenth, referring to the top 10% of the African American community, arguing they should receive a classical education so they could guide and uplift the entire race. While Washington sought to work within the system, Du Bois was unflinchingly vocal about the need for immediate and full civil rights for black Americans. This philosophical divergence between the two leaders highlighted the barter debate within the African American community about the best way forward. During this period, Du Bois took on teaching roles. He taught at Atlanta University from 1897 to 1910 with short interruptions here and there. Here, he produced a significant amount of scholarly work, published articles, and organized conferences on the study of Negro problems. By 1905, Du Bois's frustration with Washington's approach led him to co-found the Niagara Movement, a group of African-American intellectuals who demanded immediate civil rights. Though the movement was short-lived, it sowed the seeds for what would become the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, in 1909. 
At the NAACP, Du Bois would continue his lifelong crusade against racial injustice, using the platform to further amplify his voice and the cause of civil rights. By the end of 1910, Du Bois had established himself not just as a leading academic, but as a foremost thought thinker and advocate for black rights in America. His writings, particularly the souls of black folk, remained a clarion call for justice, equality, and an end to racial oppression. Part 3. NAACP and Pan-Africanism, 1910-1930 W.E.B. Du Bois's leadership in the NAACP, a prominent organization committed to the socio-political empowerment of black Americans, allowed him to leverage its platform to tackle issues of racial injustice head-on. As the director of publicity and research, Du Bois was instrumental in the creation and dissemination of the NAACP's monthly magazine, The Crisis. Under his editorship, which spanned nearly 25 years, the publication became a beacon of black thought, culture, and activism. Through the crisis, Du Bois was relentless in his criticism of racial segregation, particularly the Jim Crow laws in the South. The magazine highlighted lynchings, voter suppression, and other forms of racial discrimination, giving a voice to the challenges black Americans face daily. Additionally, it became a hub for African American arts during the Harlem Renaissance, promoting works by poets, writers, and artists who offered an African American perspective. Within the NAACP, Du Bois pushed for legal strategies to combat institutional racism. This direction was epitomized by the association's involvement in the landmark legal cases such as Quinn v. the United States in 1915 and Buchanan v. Warley in 1917, which targeted grandfather clauses and housing segregation respectively. However, Du Bois's approach occasionally led to internal conflicts. While the NAACP's leadership primarily focused on legal and political avenues, Du Bois recognized the importance of direct protest. His push for the organization to publicly support the 1917 Silent Parade, a protest against racial violence, marked one of the earliest instances of the NAACP engaging in public demonstrations. While deeply rooted in the struggle for black rights in America, Du Bois saw the challenges black individuals faced as a global issue. He became deeply involved in the Pan-African movement, which emphasized the shared experiences and unity of black people worldwide. Starting in 1919, he played a significant role in organizing a series of Pan-African conferences. These meetings, held in various world cities like Paris, London, and Brussels, brought together intellectuals, activists, and leaders from across the African di diaspora. The goal was to address colonization in Africa and racial discrimination in the diaspora as a whole. Du Bois's commitment to Pan-Africanism was more than just organizational. His writings, including The World in Africa, published later in 1947 but conceptualized earlier, underscored the rich history of Africa and its pivotal role in global civilization. For Du Bois, Pan-Africanism was not just about political unity, but also a profound cultural and historical awakening. As the 1920s closed, Du Bois found himself at various crossroads. Tensions with the NAACP's leadership and differing views on approaches to black rights meant that Du Bois would eventually part ways with the organization in 1934, 
However, his dual focus on both domestic civil rights and global black unity left an enduring legacy on the 20th century black freedom struggle. Part 4. Conflicts, Communism, and World Wars, 1930-1945 The 1930s and 40s marked a period of transformation for W.E.V. Du Bois, both ideologically and professionally. As the world grappled with economic crises and war, Du Bois' perspectives evolved, and he grew more radical in his stances against racial and economic injustice. The early 1930s saw increasing tension between Du Bois and the NAACP's leadership. One of the primary points of contention was Du Bois' proposal to voluntarily segregate black Americans, which he persisted in his article, A Negro Nation Within a Nation. This controversial idea was rooted in his belief that separate black economic and social institutions could foster self-reliance and strength within the black community. However, the NAACP vehemently opposed such a notion, leading to Du Bois' resignation in 1934. Leaving the NAACP, Du Bois returned to Atlanta University, where he focused on his academic work and research. The backdrop of the Great Depression profoundly impacted Du Bois. Witnessing the economic hardships endured by all, but disproportionately by black Americans, he increasingly saw capitalism as a flawed system that exacerbated racial inequalities. This disillusionment led him to explore socialist and communist ideologies. While Du Bois never became a formal member of the Communist Party, he found value in its critiques of capitalism and its purported commitment to racial equality. He attended international conferences, including ones in the Soviet Union, and engaged in dialogue with global leftist thinkers. World War II further solidified Du Bois's critiques of American society. As black soldiers were drafted and sent to fight against fascism in Europe, they were simultaneously subjected to a segregated military and racism at home. Du Bois was particularly vocal about the Double V campaign, which sought victory against fascism abroad and racism domestically. The irony was not lost on him. A nation championing democracy abroad denied basic human rights to its black citizens at home. The warriors also brought personal challenges. Du Bois faced increasing scrutiny for his leftist affiliations. His outspokenness against colonialism, especially as it pertained to African nations, made him a target for surveillance. The U.S. government grew wary of his internationalism and pan-African efforts, viewing them as potentially subversive. Despite these pressures, Du Bois remained undeterred. He continued to champion the rights of black Americans and the broader African diaspora, advocating for an end to colonialism and imperialism. As the world transitioned into the post-war era, Du Bois' foundational work paved the way for the civil rights movements of the 50s and 60s and the decolonization efforts across Africa and Asia. Part 5. Return to the NAACP and Rising Tensions, 1945-1951 In the post-World War II era, W.E.B. Du Bois' relationship with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, and the broader American landscape grew increasingly fraught. 
His once radical beliefs now seemed even more so in the new context of the Cold War, with America seeking to position itself as the leader of the free world against the communist threat of the Soviet Union. Following the end of World War II, Du Bois returned to the NAACP in 1944, taking up his former role as Director of Special Research. He hoped that the end of the war would usher in a renewed focus on civil rights and the fight against racial discrimination in the U.S. However, Du Bois's vision was increasingly at odds with that of the NAACP's more moderate leadership. He pursued global perspectives on black liberation, emphasizing anti-colonialism and pan-African unity, views that were deemed overly radical by some in the organization. The Cold War atmosphere of the United States further complicated matters. Du Bois's previous engagements with socialist and communist ideologies, including his favorable views on the Soviet Union, were now seen under a microscope of suspicion. To be pro-Soviet, or even perceived as such, was to risk being labeled un-American. This tension reached a climax when Du Bois became the chairman of the Peace Information Center in 1950. The center campaigned against nuclear weapons and promoted the Global Peace Initiative, the Stockholm Peace Appeal, which called for an absolute ban on nuclear weapons. However, the U.S. government perceived this as a communist-led endeavor. In 1951, at the age of 83, Du Bois, along with other members of the Peace Information Center, was indicted for failing to register as an agent of a foreign power. The charges were essentially a claim that they were acting on behalf of the Soviet Union. The trial that followed was a stark representation of the era's paranoia and the weaponization of anti-communism. Du Bois and his co-defendants were portrayed as a threat to national security. However, the case against him was weak, and the judge acquitted him, stating there was no evidence that the Peace Information Center was acting under the directives of a foreign government. While legally vindicated, the trial took a toll on Du Bois and his reputation. The ordeal led to his second resignation from the NAACP in 1951, marking a definitive end to his formal association with the organization. The split symbolized a broader ideological chasm within the civil rights movement between moderate reformist tactics and more radical global perspectives. Despite these challenges, Du Bois remained undeterred. The 1950s would see him continue his advocacy for peace, civil rights, and global solidarity, further solidifying his legacy as a pioneering thinker and activist. Part 6. Final Years and Legacy, 1951-1963 After his second resignation from the NAACP in 1951 and his subsequent acquittal, W.E.B. Du Bois found himself increasingly marginalized in the U.S. He became a vocal critic of U.S. foreign policy and its stance on global anti-colonial movements. The McCarthy era, characterized by anti-communist sentiments, saw Du Bois as a particular target due to his known leftist leanings and associations. However, Du Bois remained active and unyielding. He continued writing and advocating for civil rights, pan-Africanism, and world peace. In 1958, he joined the Communist Party USA, 
seeing it as an avenue to champion issues close to his heart, particularly economic justice and labor rights. His decision was not solely ideological. It was a protest against the intensive repression of civil liberties during the Cold War. The twilight of Du Bois' life witnessed a significant shift. Feeling increasingly disillusioned with the racial climate in the U.S., he accepted an invitation from Kwame Nkrumah, the Prime Minister and President of Ghana, to move to the newly independent African nation in 1961. Nkrumah, who had led Ghana to independence from British colonial rule, was inspired by Du Bois' pan-African ideal. In Ghana, Du Bois took on a, the project of creating the Encyclopedia Africana, a commendium dedicated to the African diaspora's achievements and history. In a symbolic gesture to his commitment to Africa and his disillusionment with the U.S., Du Bois became a Ghanaian citizen in 1963. This act was not just about citizenship. It was a profound statement of identity and allegiance. Unfortunately, Du Bois' time in Ghana was short-lived. On August 27th of 1963, he passed away at the age of 95. The news of his death reverberated globally. It was poignant that he died just a day before Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his legendary I Have a Dream speech during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. King took a moment during his address to pay tribute to Du Bois, recognizing his immense contribution to the struggle for black rights and freedom. W.E.B. Du Bois's legacy is vast and enduring. As a scholar, he pioneered sociological studies on black communities and wrote extensively on race relations, setting the intellectual foundation for future civil rights activism. His commitment to pan-Africanism has inspired countless black leaders globally, cementing the idea that the struggles of black people worldwide are interconnected. Beyond his scholarly and political contributions, Du Bois's life story serves as a testament to the power of resilience, conviction, and the pursuit of justice. Even in the face of significant personal and professional challenges, he remains steadfast in his commitment to equality and justice leaving a lasting mark on history. His spirit continues to inspire activists, scholars, and leaders worldwide, echoing the timeless relevance of his life's work. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on W.E.B. Du Bois, a trailblazing advocate for African-American rights and a significant figure in American intellectual history. He's also who died today on August 27th. Additionally, if you enjoyed today's episode and want a visual of what W.E.B. Du Bois looked like, please follow our Instagram, who period died period today. Lastly, make sure to rate us wherever you are listening and share with friends and family. Join us next time on Who Died Today as we explore the life of another remarkable individual who made a lasting and indelible mark on history. I'm your host, Peter, and thank you for listening.